Hey everybody, it's Dan and welcome to our Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Got a two-parter for you today. The first part, Mary Kay Cabot, Scott Patsko, and I will talk about the 17th game and what it means for the Browns and the AFC North. And then in the second half of the podcast, Tim Bielek will talk draft. He talks about the trade that the 49ers made, the moves the Dolphins made, and then we kind of go through his mock draft from last week, make some adjustments based off those trades and a little more. So that's all today for you here on the Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Away we go here on a Wednesday. Dan Lobby, Mary Kay Cabot, Scott Patsko. We're going to talk about the 17th game. So first of all, just generally speaking, what do you guys think of the 17th game, Mary Kay? We knew this was coming, but now it's official. There will be a 17th game. What, what do you think of how the NFL sort of put this together? Anything to get rid of a preseason game, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I hate those preseason games, but you know what? I have no problem with it. I like progress. I like change. People love their NFL football. It's one more game for people to go to. It's one more game for people to watch on TV. It, it adds drama. It adds intrigue. And as long as they do things to protect the players physically, including keeping the, the three-week IR and expanding rosters and doing whatever it takes to keep players healthy physically, then I'm all for it. Browns players might be thinking twice about this, but the Browns in general as a franchise have to love it because their team is good. That's another sellout, right? Their game, the Cardinals. So that's another stadium. If everything gets back to normal, full of people. So from that perspective, they have to like it. And I, I do, I agree. If you, if you're getting rid of preseason games to add a regular season game, that's great. And I think last season proved that preseason is a little bit overrated and not as necessary as maybe everybody thought it was. So, yeah, I think it's a great move. And player safety is, is something I think about. The fact that there isn't another buy, I guess, is somewhat concerning, but they can handle it. Yeah, I think it's one of those things that right now we talk about a lot in theory. You know, oh, this is these are the bad things that could happen because of this game. But, I, I mean, I'm with you guys. I kind of said on the podcast a couple, maybe it was two weeks ago, that the only thing I didn't like is, you know, now there's no more 8-8 eight and eight or 9-7 and seven, or now we've got to readjust. You know, I like that symmetry, but – Whatever. It doesn't matter if they took away the worst, the worst thing they had going. And that was the fourth preseason game. I am curious how the preseason kind of looks now and, and how coaches adjust. Will it be guys play a lot in the second preseason game? Is that your dress rehearsal? And now the third is just sort of the throwaway game. I don't know, but any, anything to take away one more preseason. And I think they should go down to two preseason games, which they probably will when they expand this thing to 18 games. But yeah, it's hard for me to argue against this. They are going to have to make some adjustments, though, to the offseason program, I think, too. I think the NFLPA is going to take advantage of this opportunity. So I, I guess, Mary Kay, if you're J.C. Treader, what, what would you kind of say to the NFL? All right, you've got your 17th game, but you got to give us this. Well, once again, I would, uh, I would probably try to keep the offseason program to a minimum if I were J.C. Treader. Uh, I think he's already on record. He is already on record as saying that, look, we showed that we don't really need uh, the, the offseason program. Uh, I think that, that they will try to get everything they can in terms of expanded rosters and the three-week IR and things like that. I think they will do everything possible to keep the players safe. I think game day rosters, they should definitely be expanded. Therefore, I mean, if you don't want a guy to play the whole entire game, you know, he can take some reps off. 
In some cases, some guys will need to do that. Some guys won't want to do that, uh, but some guys will need to do that. And I think that's perfectly fine. So I would expand the game day rosters and just relax all of those rules. I mean, they have some such ridiculous rules. So I think the fact that they loosened up IR will really help. Uh, that needs to go forward. And I think that JC do, will do everything he can to keep the offseason down to maybe one mandatory mini camp. And, and that's about it. And keep in mind that almost half the league played a 17 game schedule last season with the playoffs because you had 14 teams make it in. Uh, it's going to be the same thing this this year. So, again, you're, you're really adding an 18th game for almost half the league when you figure in the playoffs. So then you got to weigh, like, what did that do to injuries last season versus seasons past? But, yeah, I think you, you do need some concessions, I think, from from the league because what we've seen from J.C. Charter this offseason, he's not someone who <laughs> is short on opinions about how things should be. So I would be surprised if we don't uh, get some – I guess some demands from his part and from the players union on, on what should be done with this extra game. The game day roster thing is interesting. You know, I've, the off season program, I, you know, I'm, I don't think you need it. I'm with JC Treader on that. I don't think you need a big off season program. You could talk me into some sort of rookie program and then maybe two weeks with the veterans or something like that. I don't think you need guys in April lifting weights and, and attending meetings in the facility. That seems like a, a waste, but the game day roster thing's interesting because I've always thought, and look, it's fantasy football and it's gambling, but I've always thought it's kind of silly that you have this 53 man roster, but every Sunday, an hour and a half before the game, you've got to announce the, it's up to 48. Now you've got to announce the five guys that aren't going to play. If you got 53 on the roster, just dress them all. I think that's probably one of, one of the things they could do. And maybe it creates some more jobs for guys, things like that. So, so there's some things they could do. Let's talk about this from a Browns perspective though. I kind of feel like the Browns are winners in this, not just because, they get another home game. But I think when you look at how these matchups played out, the AFC North got the toughest of the schedule because they play the AFC or the NFC West. But you could argue the Browns maybe got the better matchup. The Cardinals are a really good football team and they've certainly added talent. And Kyler Murray has, has only grown when he's been healthy, at least. If they play the Cardinals later in the year, especially though, they may end up with the best of the four matchups out of this. Well, it, it will definitely be interesting uh, because, you know, the Cardinals will have J.J. Watt this year. They did not have him last year. And Chandler Jones should be back from, from his injury, although that's a tough injury, uh, a biceps, I think a, a, a biceps injury to come back from. Uh, so if, if they have those two guys rushing off the edge, uh, I, I think that uh, – I think that could, could be quite the challenge. So you just don't really know uh, as you look at, you know, the Steelers playing the Seahawks, the Ravens playing the Rams and the Bengals playing the 49ers. As we have mentioned in our other podcast, uh, there, the, there's a lot of quarterback shape going on. So we don't know yet who, which of the teams that these guys are playing will be the best one. I mean, the Cardinals could end up being uh, one of the best teams in, you know, amongst these four. So it, it could be, it could be really interesting. They, they may have drawn the short stick in, in this regard. When, when it comes time for people to start predicting who's going to make the playoffs and the Cardinals are going to be the, the a trendy pick to, to do that this year, they're going to be that team that people are zeroing in on in the NFC to make that jump. And they already did it once. They, well, they won like five, 
five wins to eight wins last year. So with their additions this off season, they're going to be kind of that it team, I think in a lot of ways. So yeah, that could be a tougher matchup than what you would expect from a third place crossover, but everybody expects the Niners to be better. I mean, outside of whatever they're going to do a quarterback and the, the Seahawks are just traditionally good at, Look, the Steelers and the Ravens already have the league's two strongest strength of schedules going into next season. So adding the Seahawks and the Rams, even if they aren't, like they've been consistently good for a while now. So those are going to be tough games. So I do think the Browns made out better than the Steelers and Ravens in that regard. But the, the, the Cardinals are one of those teams, just not sure what you're going to get yet. Just because they're young and everybody kind of expects them to make a jump, but they haven't done that yet. So, yeah, I just, I just look at it. And if I had to choose, it, it just speaks to how good the NFC West is. These are probably the two best divisions in football. You know, yeah. we'll see what Pittsburgh looks like. We'll see what Cincinnati looks like, but the NFC West probably if San Francisco's healthy, they might end up being the best division in football. But if you had to go through and choose a team for the Browns to play, unless Russell Wilson gets traded, I think you'd almost choose the Cardinals out of this group and kind of have to hold your nose a little bit and say, that's going to be a tough game. But that's the team. I think again, if San Francisco's healthy and Jimmy Garoppolo's healthy, or they, they get the quarterback they want at number three and, and they're ready to go with him. I still think the Cardinals might be the team with the biggest variance in that division, assuming health. Yeah, it's, it's going to be, yeah, it could turn out that way. You're right. Health will be a large factor and some of the quarterback situations will be a factor. I mean, on paper right now, I guess that's the way that, that you would rank them. But it's, like I said, I think it's, some of it will come down to how those guys come back, how, the, how J.J. Watt assimilates into that defense how Chandler Jones comes back. Uh, I think, you know, two guys like that, I mean, they, they can make an enormous difference. I mean, can you imagine if the Browns didn't have miles Garrett last season, what a difference that would have been on their defense. They, they didn't for two games and then they didn't have full miles for the really the rest of the way. And, and it, do, it does, it, it makes a huge difference. So I think that's really key. And then, you know, Kyler Murray, you can, I, I think you can kind of only expect him to get better. And the other thing that I think this does for the Cleveland Browns is it adds another good quarterback for them to have to play. Okay. They didn't, I don't think that they played a ton of great quarterbacks last season. They just didn't really have to worry too much about very many really good quarterbacks. This adds, I think, another very dynamic quarterback to the lineup for them. Uh, and of course, this year they're playing the Chiefs, they're playing the Packers. So they've got some good quarterbacks that they are playing and a lot of unknown quarterbacks that they're also going to be facing that we don't know who it's going to be yet. But, uh, you know, this is, you know, this is not Mike Glennon. Kyler Murray is a very, very dynamic quarterback. We saw what he did to them as a rookie. They didn't have much of a defense then, but I think that's, that's a key. It's, you know, they're going to, they're going to have to come to play that game. They've, they've made a lot of changes on defense too. That's a big game, obviously, just from a defensive standpoint and seeing a quarterback who can move around and they already got Lamar Jackson two times. So the Browns have really focused on getting faster on defense. And this is another game against the Cardinals that you're going to find out if it paid off or not. You know, Lamar Jackson will tell you a lot, but, but also Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray and his running ability is going to let you know uh, how good those upgrades were on defense. Yeah, and Arizona was a team last year that 
like you said, Mary Kay, they've dealt with injuries. I don't think Kyler was really healthy in the second half of the season, which caused them some problems. And they were just really limp to the finish line. And I think there's still some questions about Cliff Kingsbury as, as a head coach. You know, I think he's a very good offensive mind and, and a good offensive coordinator. I think there's still questions about some of the decisions he makes as a head coach as well. It's just, that's a really good division. <laughs> if, if Arizona or San Francisco is, is the bottom of that division, it, it's really difficult. So I think the, the big thing here, and this is important for the Browns, this is why the winning the AFC North, I think, is going to be an important priority. You're not getting three teams in next year because of those schedules. And, and when you go back to last year, uh, when you look at strength of schedule, it, it played a role last year with the teams that made the playoffs. And it's a big reason, I think, why the AFC North had three teams get in and three teams win 11 or more games. Absolutely, 100%. And I've been saying that and hammering that point home a lot. And also, I, I think that in everything that we do in terms of evaluating 2020, I think it needs to be mentioned. I think it needs to be talked about. I think that strength of schedule is vitally, vitally important. Uh, I can't remember which coach, it might've been Dick Vermeil. Someone told me that Dick Vermeil uh, used to say that our, our record is going to be directly tied to the strength of schedule. It's so much comes down to that. And I think sometimes we forget that a little bit that you, you really have to take into account who did they play the level of the competition. I mean, even just when you look at this Cardinals team, if, if you have JJ Watt, Chandler Jones, Kyler Murray, and DeAndre Hopkins are arguably one of the best receivers in the NFL. There's a lot of talent on that team. They did not play a ton of teams last year that were loaded with talent. They played a few, but not all that many. And again, if those guys are back, you've got a lot of talent on both sides of the ball. And they, they didn't like the fact that they went eight and eight last year and they don't plan on doing that again. So this is going to be an interesting game. And of course you have the whole Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray thing. And, and that makes it fun and exciting. Those guys going up against each other, of course, Kyler Murray, uh, Baker's successor at Oklahoma. And then he followed him into the Heisman trophy and he followed him into being the number one overall pick. And those guys have a nice natural rivalry going. So there will be a lot at stake in this game. Yeah. I think strength of schedule. And, and we did touch on that a little bit last season, just the fact that the Browns and the other AFC North teams got to play the NFC East and, mm-hmm. you know, the Steelers going out to that 11 0 start, they played three of those teams during that span. They also got the Texans in there. They got the Cowboys without Dak Prescott later in that streak. There could be another division that turns out to, to be somewhat like that. I mean, injuries happen. You don't know. And we can look at all this on paper and, you know, at the end of March here and everything looks a little stronger than it, than it might, but then, you know, four weeks into the season, people start going down and the whole landscape changes. So I think the schedule is only as good as, as the next week, really, when you're, when you get to the NFL schedule. Yeah, I don't think there's a professional league that relies more on, you know, injury and also schedule to determine outcomes. Some teams are just really good, and you hope the Browns are going to be one of those teams that are just really good. But when you have to play a really difficult schedule, it just changes, and, and guys start getting hurt. It changes the way that things play out over the course of what is now 17 games. Okay, so we have all the matchups. When you kind of look at them, what's the one? What's the one matchup? I guess. I guess you're allowed to say Browns Cardinals if you want. What's the one matchup that makes you happy that there's going to be a 17th game? 
There's one easy one here, and it's uh, the Packers and the Chiefs. It's the State Farm Super Bowl that we didn't get. That should be a good matchup. It would be, I guess, a home game for Kansas City, but that's going to be your your prime time, you know, Monday night, Sunday night game for sure. Yeah, that's absolutely 100% the one that I would have taken uh, as well. That's the most intriguing one that I see on here. So let me see if I can try to find something else that that looks pretty cool. Dan, do you have one in mind that was something other than that one? I mean, I, I think Rams Ravens is really interesting, especially, yeah, you know, that yeah. Rams defense obviously took some losses, but I think that's a really interesting game in Baltimore. That, that's one that stands out. Nobody's going to pick uh, Broncos Lions. Yeah, I saw that. I was going to say, if we want one that's just not going to make anybody excited, I think that would be it. <laughs> yeah. Falcons Jaguars. No, that doesn't do it for you. <laughs> Those are the ones that you're making the case for the 17th game uh, for. And I'm not no, seeing any, any potential rookie quarterback matchups here or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, there well, aren't a million games to, to choose from that just blow you away. Did you find no. one? <laughs> no, I think the most inter- some of the most interesting ones are in the AFC North. You know, I, yeah. I think I think those are the, the best ones aside from the, the Packers and, and the Chiefs. I mean, the Cowboys and Patriots could be interesting, depending on who's at quarterback for the Patriots. That's, you know, that's a completely overhauled football team. And then Dak's coming back healthy. That could be a very interesting one. That's America's team, you know, versus the Patriots. If the Niners take Justin Fields, he'll be going to Cincinnati. If he'll back to Ohio against Joe Burrow, another former Buckeye. So there's there's a storyline built in with that game if, if that's who the Niners end up taking. Yeah, a lot of these games come with ifs, like that Cowboys-Patriots game you mentioned, Mary Kay. The Saints-Titans, you know, the Saints have a new quarterback. What, what sort of team are they going to be? Uh, but, yeah, Lions-Broncos. That's one that I think is going to end up at 1 o'clock p.m. on some random, some random Sunday. What's next for the NFL schedule? Are they going to stretch this thing to 18? Could they get it to 19? Well, here's the thing. That, uh, that I did not realize. And in fact, I went on the radio, we're li- you're listening to this on uh, Wednesday. I, I mentioned on the radio today that I thought 18 could be coming sooner than later, but it can't be coming sooner than later because it is written into the CBA that they cannot expand anymore in this current CBA. So if they did decide to do that, it would have to be an amendment to the CBA because the way it's written right now through 2031, they can't expand again. And I, I was very surprised about that. I, w- I thought they would try to get that symmetry going and get that extra game and get to 18 within the next five years. I thought they would do it. I really did. Uh, so I was wrong about that. I didn't realize that was in there. Uh, I think 18 is coming, but I don't know if I'll be covering 18 games. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's weird that it's, an odd number because it's never been like that before it was you know it's 12 14 16 and then now they just go up one and you're just gonna get some funky looking records that we're just not used to seeing you know just I don't know I it would be good if they go to 18 sooner than later I think that's for some reason just an even number of games makes the records a little more familiar and yeah I mean it's just I thought it was odd that they just decided to do one game instead of the two game jump yeah, is, is like 10 and 7 a good record now? I don't I don't know. I can't. <laughs> like 10 and 6 used to be, hey, you go 10 and 6, that's a good season. 
I don't know if 10 and seven is like eh, 10 and seven might a 10 win season now just doesn't mean as much. Yeah. So I was wondering about that, you guys. And I was trying to think in my own mind now, if I had to pick a record right now and we're not going to, you know, hold each other to this, Uh but what comes to mind? I mean, if you had to like, just your first thought on the Browns record, now that there's 17 games, what, what are you guys thinking? 13 and four, right? <laughs> That's what everybody's shooting for. All right, Doug. <laughs> now a 12 win uh, season isn't what it was, right? 12 and five. I mean, that's the number that popped in my head was 12 and five. The, the first thing that popped into my head was 11 and six. That's the first thing that, that comes to my mind is 11 and six. And I know there's high, high expectations for this year, but sometimes I wonder if they aren't a little too high heading in. You know what I mean? People are talking about this offseason like it's the greatest offseason in the history of any football team anywhere. And I keep wondering, like, did people forget about the last two offseasons here? I don't even think this offseason was as flashy. It wasn't. This offseason's not as, as flashy or as sexy or whatever you want to call it as the last two off seasons here when they got Odell Beckham Jr. and Olivier Vernon and Sheldon Richardson and Kareem Hunt that year and last year with Jack Conklin and Austin Hooper and I don't know I mean this is a good solid off season and you, you can't say enough about John Johnson and but you know it, it's it wasn't a blockbuster off season they didn't need it to be what do you guys think? It was just very targeted is what they needed to do. They needed to get the defense better and they got the defense better. And there's still a draft. Right. <laughs> Which I think because so much has happened and we look at this roster and, and think it's fairly complete with a few exceptions. I think sometimes we forget, oh, there's a whole nother significant. There are at least two more significant players who will contribute this year coming via the draft, if not more. Right. I think people are just surprised that the Browns have actually gone out two years in a row here and actually gotten the players that make a whole ton of sense, you know, at the spots that make a ton of sense. And yeah, this definitely wasn't, I think, as big of an off season, but, but Dan's right. It was just, you know, it was targeted. It was workmanlike, I guess, if you want to put a term on it, it was what they had to do. And now they go into the draft drafting for depth and not necessarily needing a starter, which they definitely needed last year. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it was, I mean, the one big thing was they got their, they got their Jack Conklin for the defensive side of the ball in John Johnson III, and that can make all the difference in the world. And uh, the other sort of, not overlooked, but I mean, they are getting players like potentially three starters back that they didn't have last year in Grant, Greedy, and Andrew Billings. So there is just an influx of talent coming on defense. That's another reason why I don't think they needed to go out and sign six more players. There, there wasn't going to be room on the roster for all these people. Um, so they did what they had to do, but you know, I, I don't think it was, you know, the best off season in the NFL this year. So the, the last point I was going to make was when we talk about win totals, I just think it's important to keep everything in perspective. When we talk about that schedule, the one, the thing that matters, and yes, you'd love to have home field advantage throughout the playoffs. You'd love to have that buy in the playoffs, all of that. But really the only thing that matters is you've just got to have more wins than the other three teams in your division. That's, that's the priority because that schedule is tough. Like we talked about. So 
even if they don't do better than that 11 and five last year, let's say they go 11 and six, if it's good enough to win the division, that's still a positive step. They don't necessarily have to go 15 and two. This all sounds so weird. I'm going to have to, (laughs) they don't necessarily have to go 15 and two. It's just all about, you know, go win that division and, and then see what you can do from there. If they do go 15 and two and get the buy and, and get to host every playoff game. Great. But you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be because of that schedule getting tougher. It doesn't have to be win more games than last year necessarily. Their task is a little easier than, than the Ravens and the Steelers who are obviously trying to do the same thing, right? The schedule, the Browns schedule is tough, but it's not as tough as what the Ravens and the Steelers are facing. And we saw last season how the Browns uh, shrunk the gap between them, the Steelers and the Ravens. So they're in a good spot. And I mean, winning this division is going to be tough, but they're in a better spot now than they were last season, even with the tougher schedule, I think. So that'll do it here for this first half of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We've got Tim Bila coming up on the other side to talk draft. And now we welcome on Tim Bielek to talk NFL draft. Tim, how are you? Doing good. Just counting the days till this draft gets started. Well, it kind of did get started, I guess, over the over the weekend when the San Francisco 49ers made that trade up to number three. The Dolphins did some maneuvering. They dropped to 12 and they moved up to six. I, I guess what was your first thought when that trade happened? I was kind of surprised, obviously, just that it would happen. I, we figured the Niners may have been one of the teams interested in those quarterbacks, but when you're giving up three first rounders to move up nine spots, kind of similar to what Washington did uh, for RG3, to a, to a greater extent with the Eagles did with the Browns and the Carson Wentz deal back in 2016. It's no surprise. I mean, it's a team that's ready to win the Super Bowl, but that's a lot to give up for a guy who's pro- who's going to be the number three quarterback in this draft. And the fact that they traded those assets up to number three tells me the Jets aren't going anywhere at number two. Well, and now not just – you know, the third best quarterback in the draft, but now there's this smoke that it could be Mac Jones, the, the guy that they're targeting, which is certainly not, I think, who a lot of people expected when the trade initially happened, but there are people who have connections to the 49ers that keep throwing out that name Mac Jones. It's also noteworthy to say that we are in smoke screen season as well mm-hmm. when it comes to the draft stuff. I mean, you can you can only believe so much of what anybody's saying I mean the only team that has any reason to be truthful right now is the Jaguars because who can possibly jump number one for Trevor Lawrence yeah the Mac Jones stuff is interesting watching him in the national championship game against Ohio State I actually came away more impressed than I thought it would be I would be he was accurate he got the ball out quick which is impressive I know he had a tremendous offensive line performance he has tremendous skill players but at the same time he makes good decisions He's got a limited track record as a starter, only started this season and one game a year ago. I think that that was the Iron Bowl against Auburn where Alabama was in the 40s and lost, I think, that game, I believe. But uh, Jones is interesting. After what Justin Fields did today at his pro day, about a 4.4440, apparently looked really good throwing the ball. I'm still kind of clinging on to the idea that we're in full smokescreen season and that whether or not the Jets are actually going to take Zach Wilson in number two, I've made my feelings on Justin Fields very clear. So I'm not going to try to, I'm not going to repeat my words. You can go back and listen to previous episodes where I've been on, where I've kind of ranted about how I feel about Justin Fields, but I get the feeling that he's going to be a guy that if he goes to the Niners at three, that is a very good fit for him. And getting a guy who's that mobile, that 
talented with his arm in a Kyle Shanahan offense, that could be pretty darn scary. The other piece of this was the Dolphins moving back up. And I've seen a little pushback on that. You know, why, why would they give up what they gave up to move back up to six? Uh, and then some people love it. You know, the Dolphins love to acquire draft picks. The Eagles, of course, are kind of in, in draft pick acquisition mode too. They could really cash in if, if Carson Wentz uh, works out in Indianapolis. What did you think of the other part of this trade where the Dolphins moved down and then kind of flipped and moved back up to six with the Eagles? I'm thinking Chris Greer, the Dolphins general manager, is uh, borrowing from the Sashi playbook <laughs> of trading down. I mean, we've they got similar track records. I mean, you get involved with the Eagles for trade involving somewhere around a quarterback. You make a big trade with the Texans to get some picks, and obviously that worked out well for them. That's why they had the third pick to begin with. And now they come around and get and still get the sixth pick. You still got a future 2023 pick. You really didn't give up a ton. And for a team like them that's going to compete in the playoffs, you don't need double first-round picks every year. So it makes sense because I still think where they are at six, they're still in a very good position to get a receiver like Jamar Chase of LSU. I know there's stuff that says Joe Burrow wants the Bengals to take Jamar Chase at number five. And I mean, that'd be interesting, but it's going to be the same problem for the Bengals. How are you going to protect Joe Burrow? So I look at those situations, unless Atlanta surprises everybody and doesn't go quarterback or Kyle Pitts and takes a receiver. Miami have dropped three spots and still gotten the guy they wanted plus getting some future assets in addition. So pretty shrewd move by Chris Greer. Okay. Let's go through uh, this mock draft that you posted last week. And obviously it's changed and there's no surprise at the top with Trevor Lawrence at number one. Then you go Zach Wilson at number two to the jets. Uh, You did send Justin Fields. You actually had a projected trade to number three. You had Carolina trading with Miami to move up and get Justin Fields. Now, now of course, it's the 49ers who moved up. You kind of touched on this earlier. Would you still mock Fields at number three with the 49ers up there? I personally would. I feel like there's more potential to have the higher ceiling and the higher floor with Fields versus Trey Lance and Mac Jones. I think Fields has got the starting experience. We've seen it so many times. And I I love the fit of a guy who runs a sub 4-5, who's 6-3, He's clearly, if you go through the film, if you look at it, break it down, all that good stuff, he actually really goes through reads very well. He's got great arm talent. Putting him in that offense when you have guys like George Kittle and Brandon Ayuk to throw the football to, Debo Samuel as well, that's a pretty interesting fit. We're not going to know for a month. I mean, there could be a situation where the Jets have been smokescreening all along and Fields goes number two, in which case – the Niners should just go take Zach Wilson. But I think as long as the Niners come away with one of those two guys at three, they should be in a good position to really get back to where they were two years ago, as long as they don't have that myriad of injuries again. Now, Atlanta, of course, is interesting. You mentioned if they wanted to go quarterback, they could. But with uh, you know the restructuring of Matt Ryan's deal, maybe that doesn't happen. You've got Kyle Pitts going there. So for Cincinnati, they kind of are the big winners in, in this whole trade because they might have their pick of guys – at number five, I'm kind of on board with you with taking the offensive tackle there as opposed to another. I mean, Cincinnati's got weapons on offense. They've got some guys, maybe not to the level that, that they could get there at number five, but they have some guys, some pass catchers and some playmakers. You got to protect Joe Burrow. Yeah, I mean, Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins is a pretty underrated uh, duo of receivers. They're not, it's not as big a name as A.J. Green, but you can argue T. Higgins was among the better rookie receivers last season, especially in the second half. The Browns got a good dose of that. 
in the rematch in Cincinnati. And the Bengals, they've started to really work on the offensive line a little bit, not as much as they should, but Riley Reef is a pretty good signing for a veteran player. You got Jonah Williams, who was drafted a couple years ago. But I think when you have a chance to get a guy like Penne Sewell, who's a young guy, who's got the potential to be in this league for 15 years, they could potentially spend their entire careers together. And that I think that would work out really well. There's always a question how guys are going to be a year removed after opting out for the season. But Sewell's so young that he's already got what you would essentially consider grown man strength, and he's not even 21 years old. The fit's good for a team that's building up slowly with a young with a younger quarterback in Burrow. Get the young tackle. Don't mess around. Get your cornerstone. It may not be the sexiest pick, but it may be the smartest pick. Okay, so what adjustment are you making at number six now for the Dolphins? Is it still Jamar Chase there, or do they go a different direction? I say Chase. As, as much as I love Jalen Waddle and just the kind of explosive player he is, reuniting him with Tua in, my, in Miami, I think Chase is the smarter bet just because – Jamar is, show, is so complete as a number one receiver. And you already have a speedster in Will Fuller, albeit for at least just one year, but that could be a very good combination. Okay, so as I'm scrolling down, the next really interesting pick is the Denver Broncos going with Trey Lance out of North Dakota State at number nine. That Look, anytime a quarterback goes, that's going to be interesting. But the Broncos need a quarterback. They've been trying to fill that void for a long time, and I think the Broncos are kind of sneakily – a pretty good football team. They've got a, you know, I don't know if Vic Fangio is a good head coach. He's a great defensive coordinator and he's done a great job with that defense there. If they can get quarterback figured out and if he can kind of stay out of way, stay out of the way on the offensive side, that could be a dangerous football team. Yeah. I mean, I thought I was originally bullish on Drew Locke after his rookie season. He showed some flashes of what I think he could be, but he really took a step back in 2020. I think with the moves the Broncos made in the offseason, franchising Justin Simmons, choosing to bring back Von Miller, even though it, they would have saved a lot of money by letting him go, it sounds like they really want to, they really believe they have a quality defense. Resigning Shelby Harris goes a long way with that as well. But I feel like it's not a bad idea considering just where they are and the talent that they have that maybe they're thinking we might have to take a chance on a guy. So, after those top three, we talked about Lance and J- Mac Jones being guys that maybe need a little more seasoning, more grooming. Um, Lance is probably the guy who needs him more just because he's coming from the FCS. He played one game in 2020 because not not his choice at North Dakota State. I mean, of course, they were under. It was the thing with the FCS not playing football this season, so he had to he had to find a way to train on his own. He got one game. He threw. An interception only completed 50% of his passes against Central Arkansas, but there's a lot to like about him, especially the mobility. And in his full season as a starter, 2019, zero interceptions. Okay, you had Caleb Farley going number 12 to San Francisco. That, of course, is not the 49ers anymore. How, how does that impact this pick now that it's the Eagles in your mind? And how does that impact Farley? Well, I think Farley's more impacted because he's coming off a little back surgery. It's not a major thing, but every little – Injury or Nick is going to hurt at this point in the process. So for the Eagles at 12, I think they should still go receiver because that's been their bugaboo. They've really have not done well at receiver. I mean, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside two years ago in the second round, it does not look good by any stretch. Jalen Rager over Justin Jefferson in 2020. I know it's one year, but that already looks like a big swing and a miss. So I think if you're Philadelphia, if you want to give Jalen Hurts a chance, 
you got to give him somebody to, to throw to. And who better, I think, in, as the way this mock kind of falls, Devontae Smith would be there at 12, and I think he could be a really good fit to put alongside Jalen Hurts. They've played together so well that there's instantaneous chemistry that should work out pretty well. Yeah, as I was scrolling down, that was the name that caught my eye. Would they pair up Devontae Smith and, and Jalen Hurts again if that opportunity presented itself? Now, you had Smith going to New England, who is kind of, you know, I don't know if, if they're the most interesting team in the draft, but I think they're very interesting because of where they are, what they've done on offense. They're keeping an eye on these quarterbacks. You know, I don't know what they're going to do, but let's say Philadelphia took Devontae Smith. Which way could New England go, do you think? I mean, that's tough because if we look at the mock where everything fell right now, the quarterbacks are going at 11 with Mac Jones in this scenario, going to the Bears who trade up, give up a future first to move up with the Giants and take him. So there's, it's tough for them because there's really no one else in the first round that I think no other quarterback that's going to go in the first round. Maybe they would have to shift around and go to Kyle Trask from Florida in the second round. Maybe they trade down for a team looking to get one of these offensive linemen or edge rushers, which could start to fly off the board at 15. Maybe a team trades up to get Caleb Farley at 15 if he falls that far. But, I mean, if if they're there at 15, an interesting fit, and I didn't mention – it just kind of came to my mind. You got a creative defensive co- coach in Bill Belichick. Why not get him a versatile chess piece in Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa? Put him in there that – linebacker group kind of that linebacker safety hybrid he's small for the linebacker position but if anybody can maximize a player like Owusu Koromoa maybe it's Bill Belichick okay so you've taken Farley off the board and as I'm scrolling down uh and I've seen this in other places too JC Horn off the board uh you've got him going to Arizona at number 16 Patrick Sertan off the board by the time the Browns come on the clock so let's go all the way down to number 26. And why don't you give me, I think you put this out on Twitter, but why don't you give me your top three here for the Browns at number 26 right now? Well, for those of you that are, who are subscribed to the Football Insider Newsletter, you'll have already gotten this in your inboxes Wednesday morning of who, as of t- today, this will be March 31st, we're recording on the 30th, but as of the 31st, my top three guys who I would take if all three are available and at this spot, number one for me is Aziz Ojolari. He's, he's my pick right now. He's kind of been a guy I've kind of fallen in love with more and more as the process has gone, has gone on. Yes, he's a little small for a 4-3 base end at just shy of 250 pounds, but there's a lot of Yannick Ngakwe in his build and the way he plays. And obviously Ngakwe was one of those guys out there in free agency. The Browns seemed like they by a lot of accounts were interested in him. Get the younger, maybe they go get the younger version of him. Well, I think is a has fewer question marks than some of these other guys behind Quiddy Pay from Michigan, who looks like he separated himself as the number one edge rusher in this class. Who are your two and three? Two would be J.C. Horn from South Carolina. I don't know how if he falls that far, but if he does, I think he's a fantastic compliment to Denzel Ward. We know what Denzel Ward is. He's a tough corner. He's with speed, a little undersized. Horn brings more of that size. Six one. I I love his physicality. How aggressively he plays. I think you could really do well having two corners, a smaller guy and a bigger guy, both of whom play a very physical brand of football, and you can really start to establish a good identity, I think, in that secondary. Number three, Jalen Phillips from Miami is going to be the interesting one. This He's one of the wild cards because of the injury history we've talked about, the concussions that co- forced him to medically retire from football for a season. 
it's going to come down to, you know, how a team's doctors or their medical staff, what they think about it. Do they get the clearance of like, you know, this guy's going to be fine. You know, he's got the concussions, he's got some wrist stuff, but as long as he, but we don't think it's going to be a long-term issue. We don't know how that's going to go, but talent wise, it's all there. He tested tremendously at his pro day yesterday. I think it was like a, about a four five five, I believe in the 40 yesterday in Miami, he put up some tremendous numbers. He's a physical force. And I obviously the injury thing is worrisome, but if you think about it as well, how many guys have, have been drafted forever that maybe have never had an injury and they, they have a problem staying healthy in the pros. And then you also look at the vice versa. How many guys who have been injury prone come into the NFL and really never have much of a problem other than just missing a game or two here or there with an ankle injury or a, wrist injury or something little like that you really never know how that's going to respond it just comes down to comes down to obviously your medical personnel and all the fancy sports science stuff that goes into it and evaluating you know how a player is physically built to handle the nfl yeah and then of course in your mock that you put up last week you had jalen phillips going to the saints at number 28 so you would have the browns passing on him which makes sense because he wasn't the uh the top of the three guys that you just listed so you've got your guy at 26 in, in your mock draft which is the way it's supposed to work right yeah definitely now i know Jadavian Clowney throws a, a wrench into the whole thing if they if the browns sign him before draft day and if it does that really opens the door where andrew barrett i don't think is pigeonholed to making any going to any need at 26 probably the position i'd imagine a guy like him wants to be where he doesn't have to make a specific pick. He can just go wherever he wants. And maybe I know, I think Mary Kay talked about it in yesterday's podcast, but the idea of surprising everybody and going for that receiver is kind of the heir apparent to Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry, where behind those top two guys, you maybe have a, a set of guys who do different roles in that receiver core. And that'd be interesting because again, this is a draft where, I think if you're, if you're Andrew Barry, you're kind of hoping that these quarterbacks go out the board first and then the offensive tackles go out the board because then that brings the edge rushers, the corners, and the receivers down to him at 26 and puts him in a position where he's got a lot of options to work with. And we'll see how it goes. It could go so many different ways between now and April, April 29th, I believe. Okay, Tim Bielek on the NFL draft here on the Orange Brown Talk podcast. I'll throw a link into that mock draft. Uh, in the description of the pod. So check that out if you want to see the mock draft from last week. And of course, we made some adjustments here after all the uh, the trading action and the quarterback carousel now in full swing. And Tim mentioned Football Insider and the newsletter you get every day in your email if you sign up. So go to cleveland.com slash Browns. There's a blue banner at the top of the page to check that out, get information and get signed up. And of course, make sure you're subscribed to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Tim, thanks for the time. No problem. 